We're looking for two oil boys who can grease us up before each competition. You do the thing you're scared shitless of, and you get the courage after you do it. That's the way it works. That's the dumbass way to work. It should be the other way around. You'll have to excuse my friend. The town is back that way. You should make a radical change in your lifestyle. I mean, the core of man's spirit comes from new experiences. That's the way it works. Don't worry, we'll catch our break too. Just gotta keep our eyes open. Hello and welcome to the Looks Like We're Lost podcast, episode number 36. I'm Lost Boy number one, Dustin Redazel. And joining me is Lost Boy number two. He knows you well enough to know you'll never love him. It's Tommy Cooksey. So happy to be here. And they said we couldn't do it. And I don't know who they are, but someone did. Someone said it. And We're proving them wrong. Your, uh, your, your intro reminds me of one of my dad's favorite jokes. Um, he says, yeah, I was the number one son, but they always treated me like number two. <laughs> Just a good old potty joke. So... Yeah, I make a similar joke almost every day when I first take my strong greens and strong red supplement. Mm-hmm. Shout out uh, Bear Performance Nutrition. Yep. And I look Walter dead in the eye before I take a swig of that concoction and I say, Walter, you can't be number one without a great number two. Because <laughs> I know what's coming about 10 minutes later. Um. We, uh, we, we've started with, like, the appropriate level of potty humor with Everett, too. Like, we're trying to get him to eat fruits and vegetables, and we're like, veggies and fruits make for better toots, man. <laughs> nice. I, I did it's l- all good stuff. I laid one on him the other day that was probably a little too advanced for him. We were, we were at the gas station, <laughs> and I handed him my wallet and said, hey, man, can you go ahead and fart in this? I need some gas money. <laughs> <laughs> He didn't quite get it. He didn't quite get it, but uh, that's going to be on repeat in the Cooksey household. I can guarantee it. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, It's nice when you throw one over his head and be like, yeah, you'll grow into it. Yeah. Don't worry. Yeah. Yep. I, I distinctly remember several jokes my dad would like tell, and then I'd I'd hear them, and they would just stick in my brain. And then as I came of like, the right age, I'm like, the punchline makes sense. <laughs> like, you know, six years later, oh, yeah, <laughs> that is pretty oh, yeah. funny. Do you feel bad at all about embedding a sense of humor into your child that it will almost certainly make him like, you know, B, C level popular in high school, but that will almost definitely capture the heart of a woman in his late 20s? <laughs> uh, yeah, you just described my youth to a T. <laughs> it's, it's coming full circle. This cat's in the cradle. Oh, man. I had one really good popular year when I was in like four, uh, third grade. When <laughs> I was like super counterculture. Other than that, yeah, yeah it was um, straight edge by the books. Yeah, yeah. I'm like reflecting. Yeah, like the on... kids, <laughs> the kids that sat right next to you in class, like would leave after six months and be like, "That Tommy guy, there's more to him than I thought." Yeah. Right. Six years later, they're like, man, that guy had it together. <laughs> right. <laughs> a star on the it's kickball field and excellent, just acing time. the joke game. But anyway. 
Uh, speaking of recreational sports, I am super intrigued by the fact that you are coaching your son's basketball league. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't think people would say basketball was your first sport. I don't think they'd call it my third sport. <laughs> but it's now there you are, leading young men, molding minds. How's it going? Um, the things that are within my control are are actually awesome. I mean, I don't. You're right. I don't know a ton about. I mean, I know about basketball, but as far as like the, you know, probably once it gets to the age of like eight, nine, ten year olds, you're gonna have to count me out because I just don't know. I'd be doing them a disservice. But as five and six year olds, man, they're not very coordinated. Like. If they could dribble down the court, like that's an accomplishment for some of them. And we have a mm-hmm. couple ringers on our team. Like we have a kid that plays travel ball. He's six years old and he plays with second graders. Um, can score handily on a ten foot rim. We have another kid whose dad is a um, pro basketball player. And I sit there like, okay, well, just don't watch what I'm doing. Um, Are you allowed to tell us who it is? I uh, probably probably not. You probably would, you wouldn't know yeah. who it is. It's not it's it's pro overseas, so you wouldn't unless you're following like European or Asian leagues, you wouldn't know. Dude, Eurobasket's my jam. I'm I'm up at like four AM. I bet you are up. I bet you are <laughs> with that weird colored ball. But you know, it's it's one of those things like um I, I do thoroughly enjoy like finding like because some of the kids are you know there are different levels of skill some have been playing ball for their whole life you know they've been dribbling at basketball mm-hmm. since they were two or three years old but but finding like the kids that maybe the best thing they can do right now is throw a mean bounce pass on the inbounds and putting him that in them in that position and letting them excel at that knowing that that's going to be the highlight of their weekend maybe um you know what else is the highlight of that experience? What's that? Is that if you say every time that somebody does it, the words, a bounce pass will make it there. Yeah. Those guys will still believe that on a religious level into their 35th year. Because uh, I will throw a bounce pass every time. See, I need, to, I need to pick your brain and get some nuggets like that. Because right now, with, with you know, with their uh, coordination and strength, a bounce pass is about all we're getting. The only other organized play we have is we have a kid who's significantly taller than most others his age. And when someone's inbounding, I say, just look for this kid and throw the ball as high as you can. <laughs> He's oh, yeah. going to get it. He's going to get a it. A staple of youth basketball. Yeah. But, you know, it's it's been fun. The parents have been super supportive. Um and I, I, one of um, Everett's good friends, his dad's just kind of helping me. You know, we have five on the court, helping me sub. We have eight eight kids on the team, so subbing kids in and out, giving everyone equal play, playing time. So everything's going well as far as we can control. This mm-hmm. weekend, there was a, a, I'll call it a major hiccup. So I'll make this super, you know, I'll, I'll make it quick. One of the basic rules of this league for five and six year olds is you you can't meet at half court you can't full court or half court press and you can't steal the ball off the dribble because otherwise you just have kids either running the ball like a football um, or you would just have this tug of war at center court where a kid bounces the ball once steals the ball bounces the ball once steals the ball yeah it's it's a good rule it's a good rule 
and and the and the refs are pretty loose. Like they they kind of evaluate the skill level of each kid. So if a kid, you know, makes every basket, but he's just running the ball down the court and not dribbling, they're gonna they're gonna call it side out. But if a kid is obviously like double dribbling, but he's still figuring it out, they're they're gonna they're gonna hold the you know hold the whistle a little bit. So anyway, so we get about five minutes into this game, and this other the other team just continues to like meet at half court and just take the ball out of my kid's hands. And so we're not getting anywhere. So I just, you know, it's a side out. I go up to their coach and I say, Hey man, can you let, because we've, we've the whistle had already been blown a couple of times. I said, Hey man, we're not getting anywhere. Can you let your kids know? Like we can't steal the ball off of a dribble. And he went off like cursing at me making broad sweeping generalizations about me as a human being threatening me with a weapon threatening me with his fists right it got really out of hand really fast to the point where did you call him a name or something no no i literally just said hey dude can you tell your team we can't we can't uh dribble or we can't steal off the off the off the dribble well, and what are you, ju- anti-American? I am, apparently. <laughs> apparently I'm anti-James Naismith. He's raising, he's raised from his grave. And it just continued to escalate and escalate. And I'm sitting there like, I'm trying to pull it back to earth by just saying, hey dude, these are five and six-year-old kids. Like, we're just here making sure they can play a game and they get 30 minutes of fun activity. And like, that's all we're trying to accomplish right now. And just he just keeps driving in and driving in and driving in and threatening and uh to the point where i have to go to the the score table at, at the halftime and tell them look if this continues to escalate my team's going to forfeit because this feels like really a, like an unproductive and an unsafe environment for our kids for me for the parents and i go to the parents and i tell them the same thing and i'm like guys you know the, the, i'm not i'm not here for this like I'm here to coach your kids. I'm here to teach your kids some fundamentals about basketball, teach them about sportsmanship. I'm not here for this guy to like insult me and threaten me on a Sunday afternoon. Yeah. So I just, you know, create my, create my space, get away from the guy. I don't engage with him the rest of the game. Like most, most of the times like the coaches are, yeah, we want our team to win. You know, it feels good when you win. Right. And the kids are happy about it, but you're also kind of like, co-coaching with the other coach like making sure like hey look if the kids get in a scuffle over over a loose ball we kind of step in with the ref to kind of get them off of each other like that was not happening we had kids you know stiff arming our team we had kids kicking our team on the ground bucking at them and the refs candidly are probably intimidated to make a call because this guy was on edge so ended up, you know, it, I, I left with a really bad taste in my mouth about youth sports just because, you know, I'm like, what is this guy trying to accomplish? What was he really out there to do? Because it wasn't for the kids, you know? Do so, you think that's the closest you've been to a physical confrontation in the last decade? I would say, yeah, I mean, for sure. You know, I don't fight. <laughs> I don't, I don't right. fight, dude. This, is, this is uncharted territory for you. You know... I would I would say it's definitely the closest that I've ever been to getting sucker punched when there was literally no reason for it. <laughs> like hmm. some there are some times in my past where 
I can be a little bit mouthy and I can be a little, you know, can get cocky at times, especially back when we were out, you know, drinking and partying and whatever, sure. where, I, where I probably deserved to get punched in the face. Just candidly, I probably would I said stupid things. You know, maybe I dumped a beer on a floor. <laughs> maybe. In, in, in defense of a friend a, of a friend. Yeah, maybe that's a show of solidarity and was but, justice beer. But yeah, I can definitely say, like, in that moment, it was one of those, like, and my brother said, this This is like all the dopamine rushing. Like, it was like a funnel moment. Like, my vision just went, like, just zoomed in. And I'm like, there was just literally a threat to, like, you know, what I what I really wanted to do was say, hey, you know what, man? I'm not here for this. Take my kid. Leave. I don't feel safe in this environment. Like, I'm just, I don't feel safe mm-hmm. here. Like, you know, this guy at any moment could just, you know come up and and punch me in the back of it. I don't know what he's going to do, you know? But ultimately, you know, at the end of the game, I grabbed the minute and I was, and I just, you know, I swallowed my pride and just said, look, dude, we're both trying to do the same thing. We're both trying to like, let the kids play some ball, have it be a fair match and, you know, learn something along the way. Even though I know that's, you know, I, I know how false that is. But I also didn't want somebody following me and my five-year-old out to the car, like, enraged, trying to prove something. You know, you never know what people are capable of. Yeah. So, anyway, that's a long-winded way I, I to say I'm pretty high on the coaching stuff. I think it's awesome. I, I really enjoy, like, you know, the kids and really getting them, like, understanding a team sport. Yeah. And, and, I, and I, you know, but but I'm not about, like, that life. Like, no, I've always wondered what goes into to parents in little league sports that are that way. Yeah, like I even understand a degree. Like I've had like guys who are still close friends whose fathers were like very aggressive as coaches and like their participation and competition. And just that they thought that there was a nobility to being, it's like the Michael Jordan mindset of competition. Like you want to instill that into your little kid and that they kind of like that obsession with beating out others. And I, I actually kind of have a little bit of sympathy for that as a parent who wants, you know, like your job is in anything as a leader, as a parent, like your job is complete when you are no longer necessary and instilling that kind of like I'm out here to win mentality does go a long ways to like your confidence that they're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. They're going to be a fighter. Yeah. Right. And so I do have some sympathy for that. I just think it's such a misguided approach. Like I, I, I wanted to see if this sounded like gibberish to you, uh, but something I was talking to Katie about. Like, do you think there's a difference between being competitive and caring about winning? Because I think there's a really strong difference. And I think the nuance is it gets lost on people. I'd be interested to hear your take on that. Because, no, I mean, I think being com- being competitive... I mean, that's, that's a, to me, it's almost a human nature thing. And there's varying degrees of, of people of, you know, of competitive nature. 
Well, here's um, the easiest yeah. way for me to think about it is like think to like high school sports. You're trying to make a team. And there were those guys who just cared about like being the starter or like getting their points. Yeah. And to me, that is, that's a grade A competitive person. They are out there to not look bad. Mm-hmm. Like they want everybody to know that they're good. But that is a totally different thing than really caring about winning. And caring about winning is understanding the totality of the game, your role within it, and doing, you know, being a star in your role, whatever that is, to enhance the team. Mm. And I think we get confused about it because when we think about the greatest winners, like they're also highly productive in their own right. Yeah. But you know, for all the for for all the lack of love I have for Tom Brady, like he is not as individually great as he used to be, or even as other quarterbacks in the league. But the thing that everybody says he does now is like he gets everybody else going. Yeah. He gets everybody else on the same page. Yeah. And yes, he happens to be a quarterback and he has a lot of success behind that. But the reason he is unparalleled successful is because he's not just getting his, he's making sure everyone else gets theirs. Yeah. And I think of like great role players like a Robert Ory, seven titles, like one of the greatest NBA role players of all time. And it's like those are guys who care about winning first. And yeah, they can they can thread the line between two things. But I think when you you melt down like this guy you've described. Like that guy's not a winner. No, no. I mean that, you know, it just, I don't know what that was. And, and I've talked to the, I've already had to bring had that a bad to, day. He had a bad day. He had a really bad day. And unfortunately, you know, he kind of ruined the day for a bunch of little kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, he'll have to deal with that. And, you know, I, it's one of those things that I, you know, some things I just let slide, but some things have to be kind of rolled to the top. So that's been that's being handled. But I think that's I think teaching. So from my standpoint, what you just said is exactly right. Like I mentioned, we have one kid on our team who is he's a stud. Like he's just he's really good. He plays. He's just he's good defensively. He can score. He we play on a seven and a half foot rim. He can score on a ten foot rim. He can almost shoot free throws from on a ten foot rim at six years old. Like. He's pretty impressive. One of my goals for him, because he wants to score every time. He never wants to come out. He doesn't want to get a drink. I'm like, you guys go drink a water. I don't want water, coach. We go to hand out the sportsmanship medal. He just stands there with his hand out like, I'm going to get it. This is mine, right? And it's, you know. But one of my one of my goals before the end of this season is to teach him, like, you are good. But you don't have to score every time to be really good. Look at these kids around you. Like they are, you know, teach, teaching them how to pass. If I can get him to pass once or twice before he shoots, on a couple times a game, I think it'll teach him more than if I just let him run up the score and we win every game. Mm-hmm. So, there, there was a kid I grew up with, and we ended up being really good friends in high school. But I only kind of knew him as a, you know, he's kind of like a little league legend. When, when we were younger. Yeah. And 
He would play in these leagues with like kids three, four years older that were like these travel teams. And then I'd play against them in like the rec leagues. Yeah. And he was completely different players in those things. And I came to find out later when we were friends that like this was pretty intentional by his dad. Like here's a league where everybody is as good or better than you. And you need to learn like how do I fit in here? Mm. Like where can I make an impact? And so started like using those games to think on, on a more mature level about the game. And then when he played in our rec leagues, is like, okay, here's where your talent separates you. And so what is the, how do you make your team better by being a little bit more selfish? Like, where does that selfishness, like, do good things for the team? Yeah. There's a benevolence in, like, carrying an extra load. Yeah. Like, don't even think about it as selfish. Like, it's it's harder to score all the time. Like it's a lot of energy output Yeah, and there's like a lot more responsibility and pressure on it. So I, I think that there's just uh, uh this is why I'm kind of, I'm disappointed in the story as much as, as much as it kind of tickles me that you almost got like a, <laughs> you know, a Sunday afternoon fist fight on a little league game. Yeah. The, uh, but it was, like, it's, yeah, it was like the twilight zone, man. <laughs> Well, somebody who volunteers to be a coach, like in a leadership position, like it's your, you volunteered. Like it is your responsibility to think through the elements of what you're doing there. And like, that's, you know, sounds like a miss. It's a big miss, big miss. Yeah. But you know, all that to, to wrap it in a bow, like it is, it's rewarding. Um, I think Everett really gets a kick out of me being the coach. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, he's just told me how much he loves basketball now. He loves it. And we're still working on, like, his dribbling coordination and his shooting and all that. But to a point where I'm like, you know what? If he He's not talked about, like, other sports like this. He, he doesn't talk about soccer like this. He doesn't talk about when he was swimming. He didn't talk about swimming like this. So we we got a little goal from uh, from Target to put out in the uh, in the driveway to let him get some reps in. So, like I said, I'm not great at it, but I... I'm sufficient. Yeah. For a for a you know probably up to about a ten year old, still bang yeah, threes you know on them. Still bang threes on them all day. <laughs> I've seen the jumper. It's not ugly. It's not terrible. I, I think if you if you uh, if you roll into a pickup game, like people aren't gonna immediately be like, yeah, this guy. I'm I'm not Stanley Hudson <sighs> from the Office, just dribbling with one arm back. Right. One arm. Yeah, I'm, I'm a role player. Look, I'm gonna I'm gonna probably shoot most of my stuff outside i might make a couple of passes that surprises myself and i'll probably snag a couple rebounds in in pickup ball that's what i'm good for i'm just there to run and sweat that's about it play some rock solid defense too just that's that's what i'm talking about yeah the older we get the more valuable that becomes just the stamina just being able to stand in front of somebody for like 45 minutes yeah yeah just basic fitness is such an asset in Old men's rec games. Yeah. Speaking of, week two, mm-hmm. week 1.5, how far are you into your training? I am uh, I'm smack dab in the middle of week three. Week three, of training okay. for the Disney Marathon. I want to hear about this because you have, one, I want to hear how you're feeling. Two, um, is, it, is the two-a-days type stuff sustainable for the next four to six mm. months 
And then I want to know about them shoes because I love some shoes. Oh, yeah, dude, the shoes are. I'll talk about those all day. So how you feeling? The I feel great. So I'd say first and foremost, like some of the things we started talking about like a few months ago when I was like, I need a break from the accountability mirror. Like there's too much going on. Uh, unplugging from that, like started giving me some room to breathe back, um, which was good. But almost, almost immediately, like I started feeling like this loss of, of purpose. And we've talked about this before. You can generate purpose out of anything that you just like really care about. And so when Katie talked to me about wanting to do a marathon, I was like, oh, this is perfect. This like fills this six month gap while we're getting, while we're getting Winnie up to speed, like while we're getting sleep schedules to like, I can plug into this and like work at this hard. I know the sense of accomplishment there is at the end of it. So like emotionally, I already feel so much better because I've, I've feel like this is a full transitional step on something that I can generate a lot of interest and purpose in, uh, it's good for me. It's good for me and Katie's relationship. And How's her training going? Is she, are, she's is doing, she doing like the a, same thing as you sort of? Yeah, she's doing the same thing as me, but she's replacing a lot of the lifting with like yoga and core stuff. Yeah. Cool. So she's just, she just hasn't gotten into like squats and deadlifts before. And I was like, that's a lot to throw at somebody. Yeah, it's like a pull. Like that's a first pulled time hamstring or something waiting to happen right there. Hundred percent. Overtrain the muscles. And, yeah, and the reason I do the cross training is to prevent injury. Right. Like, but it it makes more sense for my body and like the years of what I've done. Yeah. So emotionally, I feel good. Physically, I gotta say, I am amazed at how good I feel. Hmm. I thought it would be worse, but like I think I've got some runner's memory from obliterating myself with the Chicago marathon training. Yeah. And if I was training like I did for Chicago, which was basically, I kept on increasing the miles, but I ran all the miles the exact same way. Just like how fast can I run these 13 miles? Okay. And this week I have 14. How fast can I run these 14 miles? Mm -hmm. And it's just not the way to do it. Like you should never be running at marathon pace. You should either be doing speed work, uh, lactic threshold workouts or everything should be super slow. So, you know, you've seen like I'm running like nine and a half minute miles on my long runs and I get done. So I ran eight miles on Saturday. I came home, I mowed the yard, I weed eated, I, I cleaned and vacuumed the entire house. Like I, I had energy to spare. It's the Renaissance man. Who are you? Who are you? Forrest Gump over here? What are you? All day. Just change my nickname. Change my nickname. All day Dustin. Dustin all day Redazzle. <laughs> so I uh I have been thrilled with the like how the feeling's been. The sustainability of the two days, as far as like my body hundred percent. As long as I'm on top of my nutrition. And as you know, I have an extensive supplement. Just regiment. a big supplementer guy. <laughs> what about the time commitment? That, that's where I run into that's trouble. That's the tricky part. Yeah. So I'm not worried about my body yet. 
we'll see how I feel when I'm doing like 40 to 50 miles a week. Yeah. Uh, time is tough. Mm-hmm. So usually like I've been trying to run before the day gets going. So try to wrap up my running before eight, if it's a weekday. And then it's like, where do I have a break in my schedule? And I'll fit in the lifts because the lifts are still scaled down. I'm probably doing less than 30 minutes of lifting. Yeah. And then I'm just like, I'm dirty all day. So I'm just like sweaty in front of my camera. Yeah. Uh, and that's fine. Yeah. The, you know, something I posted pretty early on my Instagram and I forget where I heard this, but I, I think it's good advice. Like in prioritizing your day and I'm, I'm especially a believer of this after what happened with leukemia, but like Cisco can fire me anytime. I have no recourse, you know, if they just decide like, Oh, big layoffs. And this Redazel guy, his numbers were about 5% low. He's gone. Yeah. Right. And I can quit my job at any time, but my body can't quit me and I can't quit it. Like we are a thing. Mm -hmm. So like when I prioritize, I just, I remember that. Yeah. And I prioritize my body over my job. And frankly, I just got done doing some, uh, a meeting with my team where we just talked about like priorities and boundaries. Frankly, I think Cisco supports that my way of thinking. I wouldn't disagree Uh, with that. I don't disagree with that. There's going to be individual managers that push harder and like, you know, dude, you can't be taking a 90 minute workout in the middle of the day. And you know, maybe 90 minutes is a little excessive, you know? Yeah. But I, I don't think at the top level at the brass that they think that way. I think they're performance oriented. And I think they believe that what is best for the Cisco employee is ultimately best for Cisco as well. Yeah. Well, and I, and I, I totally agree with that. And one of the things I've been thinking about this too, and I'm not the first person for sure. Maybe we've even talked about it. What even is nine to five? Like we don't work in a field. We're not in a factory, you know, an an unlit factory, (laughs) like nine to five. You know, the only reason that it makes sense is other people generally are working at that same time. It's the way we've always done it. We've always done it. We've always done it. Right. But you know, if you're more productive doing work, chunks of work from 7.30 to 11.30, taking a nice break and then doing additional work afterwards, like as long as the work is getting done, then it's getting done. It doesn't matter at what hours, as long as you're you know upholding, you know, what you say you would do as, a, as an employee. So, well, and we're talking about the pace of business. So this is one of the things I love about a marathon is it's like the ultimate metaphor for life. You can find it in any anything you want to do. So if we're all out there, I'll try to tie a few things together here. Yeah. I am not a naturally competitive person, but I have always cared about winning. I've always cared about being good. Like if you place a hierarchy in front of me, like I want to finish well in the hierarchy. Yep. And... The same, the reason that marathon running is an excellent output for me is there is no way I can be the best at this. It is impossible to be great. I can't make a living. I can't earn it. 
it can't be anything more than exactly what it is. Yeah. But the one thing I know for sure is, you know, I ran like a 420 something at Chicago. I keep meaning to look up that exact yeah. time so I can play the numbers. I know I can do better than that. Yeah. So I don't have to compete against anybody to win. Like I just need to be a better version of myself. And you, that's not even beating my past self because you know what? My past self is pulling for current me. Right. My past self wants me to be better now. Yeah. It's part of the reason he ran the Chicago Marathon a couple of years ago was to propel me to this improved state. Yeah. So I <laughs> I tried to tie too many things. What was the initial thing that kicked us onto this? Is something with Cisco and our work boundaries. You're uh, committing to your body. You can't quit your body. Your body can't quit you. Uh, uh, not quite there. <laughs> there is something with the work. I was going to do it. I just... Uh, well, it'll it'll, it'll come back to you, but I will, I will say, like, you know, I, I've been doing CrossFit for probably eight or nine years now. And <clears throat> there was a point where I was like, I'm getting pretty good at this. And it was early-ish days of CrossFit. It's never, you know, there was always people that were way, you know, significantly better. But as far as like what I could track in like a quote leaderboard, hey, I was doing all right. I was usually near the top, right? And then I got a little, a little unmotivated. Like I just, you know, I, we had, we had kids and injuries started to pile up. I had shoulder surgery, um, and I began to see myself sliding down on that other person. Com, com, uh, comparable level and I was like ah, bleh. what am I doing like what am I doing this for why am I still doing this mm-hmm. and I felt this sort of rebirth and excitement about it I, you know I took probably you know with the shoulder surgery I couldn't I just couldn't do it so for about four to six months I was literally just running and riding the peloton and that was awesome for a while and it, it had definitely filled a void and now as I work like the CrossFit back into it, there's like this post-surgery PRs. Like I'm rebuilding a foundation on totally different metrics and Mm -hmm. it is motivating. Um, I'm finding that I can still do some of the things that I did pre-shoulder surgery. Like I could still do muscle-ups. I thought those might be a thing of the past. Um, The weight on the barbell is not as much as it was before, but it still feels respectable. So... The one thing I'm missing, and you're selling me on a, on a marathon. I don't know, but I, missing is what am I working towards? Like, is there a goal that mm-hmm. I can work towards? Maybe it's like um, a Spartan run. Maybe I'm working towards that, and I can start running again. But years ago, and I say years ago, it's probably three years ago, four years ago. Annie was like, "Would you ever do a 10k?" I'm like, "No, hell no, I'm not doing a 10k. I've done like three 5ks in my life. <laughs> like, I'm not doing a 10k." After doing run 21 and seeing enough people that I know, like you've, you know, you've mm-hmm. done a marathon. Deanna's done a marathon. Mabunga, I think, has done a marathon. Dylan's running every day for an entire year. I'm like, maybe before I'm, you know, 40, I should, I should get a marathon under my belt. Like, can I do it? Am I mentally strong enough to do it? I don't know. Yeah, I, I think. Because you're selling me pretty hard. Well, I think this is 
this was the thing, like the marathon being like a metaphor for life. I, I don't really think it matters what the thing is that you pick. The only reason the marathon is great it may be superior if you just want to like find a personal sense of meaning is that there's no way to roll out of bed and just do it. Yeah. Right. Like I did this before I ran the Chicago marathon is I just took like six hours and got 25 miles in at some point. And it was hugely destructive. I was sore for days. Like, it wasn't a good piece of training by any means. Yeah. But I was just like curious about like what it felt like to traverse that kind of a distance. And if you've never even just walked 25 miles, like it'll wreck you. Yeah. So the idea of like, well, you know, could I get it done is significant. And then uh, there's some numbers that make it interesting, right? So less than 1% of Americans have ever completed a marathon. So you're already in an uncommon arena for how far you've taken your body. If you set a a goal, like most people like to say, sub four hour, and I can tell you I have to run the last one at 420, which is like, oh, 20 minutes off. Is that really that far? Like, yeah. It's, it's one like, minute, of, uh, yeah. It's like one minute yeah, a mile. Like, <laughs> yeah, like that's a heavy pace to pick up, yeah. right? Like it's a it's a distance to cover. But if you run sub four, that is faster than the average male finisher in a marathon. So only 1% finish, less than half of that goes sub four. So you know you have done something incredibly difficult. And yeah. because you can't just roll out of bed, you know that like this isn't a talent. This is something that you took the time, you, you put your nose to the grindstone, and you, it's not just like, can you log the miles? Like, you have to be smart about it to avoid injury. You have to space things correctly. You have to learn about pacing and your speed work. And this thing you take for granted, which is just your legs moving you over distance, this thing that, like, you know, unless you have something debilitating, that is part of the basic human skill set. Mm-hmm. You realize pretty quickly you're, you're inadequate at it. Like your stride length is off. You don't have a fast enough cadence. Like you hit too heavily on your heel or too heavily on your toe. And that like disrupts the energy transfer. And you have to be as dialed in as you can with every single step. Because even the smallest error in the way you do your form Maybe no big deal, but it takes 40,000 plus steps to complete a marathon. So you need to hit it. You need your steps to be right. And like once you get used to deconstructing something that big and that arduous, it's, it's not dissimilar than like the line from Fight Club where he's like, once you've been in a fight, the volume on everything gets turned down. Once you accomplish a marathon, things... Almost everything seems simpler. It just seems simpler. Life is less daunting. Very interesting. You're selling me, dude. You're selling me on it. I need to go I'm a somewhere. Big believer in it. I need to go somewhere flatter than Raleigh, probably to do one. But yeah, 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 yeah. Raleigh, Raleigh's a rough marathon. You you, you did a half, didn't you? In Raleigh, uh, I've only done a five k in Raleigh, but my longest 
training run in Raleigh is 18 miles. Yeah. So I've I've run some solid distances in Raleigh, and it's just like this is the other thing too. Like a hill. Who knew that a hill was so devastating? I mean, uh, you know what? So when, when I do Murph at my house, you know, yeah. mile run, hundred pull ups, two hundred push ups, thirty squats, mile run. First mile, I'm like you know, eight eight thirty, but my my it's like up a hill, down a hill turn around straight back up a hill i don't know i don't know what the what the great incline is but it's not not steep like it's pretty Mm -hmm. long but it's not not steep that second mile i might as well have like an anchor tied to my ankles because it is like when i turn around at the turn point i can't get my legs to move fast enough 300 squats later so it's one of the funny things about like i would say Cause I know a decent number of people who I consider very fit through CrossFit and it's just like running does not translate. No, it does. It is its I, yeah. own thing. Yeah. I was very surprised when we did run 21 and I was like, Oh my gosh, have I ever even worked out before? Like <laughs> crushing, you know, top, top 3% on Peloton rides. I'm usually decent in a, in a CrossFit gym and I am gassed after like an eight and a half minute mile, like yeah, heart rate at one sixty five. So, well, yeah. Well, like I said, most people just never trained it right, right? Like no. you, you've coached some people up on like how to hit a proper snatch. Yep. And if you see a wonky snatch form, you are you are horrified for that person's safety. Yep. Like it's only a matter of time, right? Yep. Like. A shoulder goes, they drop a bar on their neck. The The same thing is true of running, but because it's the compound of the flaw, it's like you. most people don't catch up to it. They, didn't, they mm-hmm. never like, it'd be like, okay, this person has terrible snatch form, but if all they're ever going to snatch is the bar, we'll probably be okay. Yeah, right. Like most people never do more than like maybe a mile here or there, yep. a couple miles. They don't push it. Right. But like once you get into serious distance, it reveals the flaws. And, you know, I've seen similar, I see similarities with it all the time now. Like, you know, I thought of myself as a decent writer. Well, try to write, you know, a 150,000 word story. Like you can't hang on to it all. Like you think you're pretty good because you had a couple nice paragraphs here and there. Mm-hmm. It's like you can't maintain that consistency and the whole thing just falls apart on you. It's like there really is something about, uh, and I think a lot of life is this way, can I just stay on it? Can I keep my eye on the ball for six months, a year, two years? And like eventually other people drop off and you're the one who's left going and... It is a, you know, it is a hell of a parable for life, isn't it? It's like, can I just can I just stay the course for seventy five years? <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, like can I do the right things consistently enough? Um, yeah, I like it. I was writing. Yeah. I was writing uh, Walter's maybe one year old birthday letter uh, a few months after the Chicago Marathon. Yeah, and. 
you know, it was all these little things I had learned in his first year of life. And a lot of it was like, you know, he's doing these little mundane things and I just, I got to lock in and be curious. And like when he wants me to do it again, I do it for the 37th time in as many minutes. Yeah. And, and because I can maintain that presence, like he is thrilled and he is learning through this activity we're doing. And all I got to do is keep on doing this every day for 18 more years. And if I can do that, maybe he'll be able to say he had a great dad. Yeah. And it's like, do I got that in me? Can I, can I show up every day? Yep. Because that's just what's on the program. Yep. And like, I think those are the things that really matter that a marathon like imbues you with. If you commit to it and you complete it, like you learn something about yourself and pain and consistency. And it's like, uh, Scott Jurek, who's an ultra runner. I'm listening to his, his book North now. It's when he set the record on the Appalachian trail run, which is, you know, it's like 3000 plus miles in 45 days, oh, that's it? Oh. which is insane. What a schmuck. Uh, yeah, guys running 50 plus miles a day for 45 straight wow. days. And the, you know, through heavy trail. But uh, he talks about type B fun. And this is the type of thing that like row 24 is. It's something that in the moment, is it super fun? Right. Eh, I don't know. Yeah. But when you're done with it, like all you're left with is good memories and a sense of satisfaction. Yeah. I have a, yeah, you're right. I have a very romantic, rosy-colored view of the first row 24. You know, and it's just like if I could, you know, I look back and I'm like, if I just could have tweaked a couple things, like the air mattress was comfortable, but I didn't have any warm clothes. So I was freezing and I couldn't get a good hour of sleep. But, uh, you know, did I enjoy watching a documentary at three in the morning while I'm rowing for an hour? It wasn't that bad. I'm not going to lie. It wasn't yeah. that bad. You know, I mean, it sucked in the moment. But anyway, well, dude, I, I'm, yeah. I'm excited to hear the, the progress and you're, you're selling me on it. And I think Disney's the way to go. Last question about it. Are you guys just going down for the marathon? Or are you going to do it with bring the kids down and try to do a little we're, Disney action after the fact? We're mostly just doing the marathon. We'll leave the kids with some family. And, uh, you know, we went ahead and. I'll have to look up which actual resort we're in, but it's one of the good ones. I we went ahead and like did a little little five star two nighter for for yeah. Dustin KT. Look, I love Disney. I mean, I have a damn Mickey Mouse tattoo on my arm. Like Disney <laughs> is awesome. So anyway, well, I'm I'm looking forward to tracking the progress, man. Should we uh should we hit our segments? Yeah, let's hit it. Um, let me pull up the question here. This, uh, was I right? Was this one like you were a little nervous about in the past? I don't know. The one last week I think was one that we'd had before. Maybe it's fun to see how our, how our answers, or not the one last week, two weeks ago. I don't know. Hmm. I don't know, but I, 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 I've given this some thought. So last time we had to pull it, you know, we had to, uh, quick draw. So now we've had a little bit of time to think about it. So this is for for the many new people. My uh, my team at Cisco just found out that I had a podcast. Oh boy! Like well, I mentioned it casually on a team call. They're like, "What?" Like the, five stars only. That's an order. Yeah, yeah. 
So the so who knows? Maybe we'll have a new listener. There we go. One, one the, besides our moms and Garrett's mom. Yeah. Right. Uh, question: We're not really strangers. Card pack edition. That's for the new listeners out there. That's where these questions come from. We're almost done with the pack. Probably got about ten to fifteen weeks left. Okay. This week's question is: What have I tolerated from people in the past that I no longer have space for? Yeah. What have I tolerated from people in the past that I no longer have space for? And you said you thought about it. You're ready to. Yeah, I'll fire away. Right. And I'll, I might, you know, I'll try to be, as we always try to do, I'll try to be br- succinct on it. But I, I, probably, I probably have to work it out a little bit as to how it fits the question. But um, as I've gone through and done all this self-reflection, I've recognized uh, that the there's very much a people pleasing tendency to my personality i i i like to be liked and in some cases especially in the past i needed to be liked like it was validation and so i think something that i used to tolerate from other people and i don't know that it was intentional is i would allow other people's opinions comments actions towards me to carry far too much weight in my view of myself. So, you know, someone would say something about uh, something I wore or something I said in a meeting or how I said something at a party or etc. And then I would go to do that same thing and I would hear that person's voice repeated in my head and then almost create like this feedback loop of like shame around that thing. And so, yeah, you know, and I've come to the other side and said, there's just, there's just no space for me to, to, you know, I'm a firm believer, like we talked about last week, we're all broken people. We're all trying to do our best in the world. Someone else's comments of me, someone who's never spent a day in my brain, in my body, is like minuscule compared to what I know and experience and have seen for myself. Uh, and likewise, me of them, right? A lot of that comes from like me being very opinionated. So I think that's where I landed is like other people's thoughts. I've allowed that to come in and and uh, dictate a lot of feelings about me and myself. So I think that's where I landed on that one. Mm. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, man. I think that's... One, that's obviously a fantastic answer for anyone who's like coming into their own. And I could I could easily echo some of those things. But here was my initial thought. I mostly I hardly ever feel like people are a weight on me. And that's probably mostly because I haven't been the kind of guy that throughout his life people have come to for things they need right (laughs) like you go to people who have their shit together to say like hey man can you help me out and I wasn't that guy right (laughs) so like you know wasn't I wasn't carrying a lot of people I wasn't putting the team on my back Greg Jennings style oh Greg Jennings (laughs) I I And so where I came to in 
it's a similar deal, right? Because it's still to your answer because it's still letting other people's opinions in and me saying like I don't need that anymore. But the way I framed it was I don't I don't no longer need to tolerate other people's indulgences or their sympathies or their pity. It's like I used to have to tolerate that because it it let me get along. Right? Um if I if I wanted a drink and I took one in the back of someone's car and then like even though I knew they weren't really down with it, but they kind of like don't want to create a hassle so they let it happen. One of 1 million examples of I'm going to kind of just do my thing and other people go along with it. I, I've I've kind of exercised, like the exorcist, not like mm, I worked it out. Right. But like, like I have banished that for the most part from my life. Like self-sustenance, I no longer need other people's allowance of mm. me. And... You know, that that's something I'm proud of. Uh, and at the same time, you know, like thinking I'm grateful that people had grace and mercy and created some some extras, you know, pull over lanes on on their own highway of life so that I could just kind of like swerve outside the lines a little bit. Um. But yeah, um, I no longer have space for that. Yeah. If if somebody comes at me with that, like I will correct it or I will correct them. Sounds like someone who's spent a lot of time figuring out what's important to them. Well, you know, life got smaller. <laughs> yeah. That's the most important thing. Thanks for sharing, dude. I like that. Yeah. Recommendations. I'm going to, you know... This one's going to fit right on par for you and Katie and anyone else out there who's into physical training or not. Get a massage. Ooh. Get a massage. Um, I have been talking about getting one for probably six months. And my wonderful wife, who knows that I would just probably never get around to booking it for myself. Like I'm the guy that hates like when we're ordering pizza, they're like, who wants to call the call and make the order? I'm like sweating thinking about having to call and order the pizza. Like, I don't know why. <laughs> like, similarly, I don't like reading in front of people. Like, it's the same. So I don't want to, I just don't want to go through the hassle of calling and then figuring out my schedule. Does it work that day? So anyway, so today at lunch, she booked massages. And we went to a new spot over there off Wake Forest called, I think it's called The Now. Over there where, like, where Wegmans is off Wake Forest at New Wegmans. Yep. And I had a uh, lady named Kasia. And is that a Tasia with a T or Kasia with a K? Uh, it's Kasia with a Kasia with a K. K A Z I A. Yeah. You know, I had to ask. I was like, I don't, because we had to leave, you know, gratuity. <laughs> I don't remember what she said. I don't know how to spell it. But I tell you what, I came out of there like just like a bowl of just a bowl of like 
putty. Like my muscles don't hurt. I felt I've just felt more relaxed today. Like I've been there's a lot of things bubbling up with the start of a new fiscal year, the kids going back to school. Like I could feel myself that like tense anxiety in my chest almost daily. And it's like today it was just like you know, the same day, like the kids were still, you know, buttholes at dinner time. Like they didn't want to eat. They would rather go do other things. But I could literally feel myself responding completely differently. Not to mention, like, my muscles don't hurt. So. It sounds fantastic. I haven't had a massage since Hawaii, which was over two and a half years ago. I would say, especially with the level of training that you guys are doing, at least every two to three months, probably if you can squeeze it in monthly. A lot of volume going on those legs. A lot of volume. A lot of volume. Take care of your body. If you're a supplement guy, just supplement with with a massage. But yeah, Man. It, it was fantastic. I mean, it was fantastic. Like, yeah, I'm a believer. That's a great wreck. There it and, is. And um, I'm already thinking like we got to get those on the books. Get them scheduled. It's yeah, a good call. There you go. The now. The now. I think it's called The Now. Yeah, right there off of uh, Wake Forest Road. Actually, right by 12th State. And I can't wait to I can't wait to just get on that table and be present. The, it, you know, they may make it really hard. So, you know, I'm not in there to get like a relaxing massage. I'm in there to get just just pulverized. Yeah, that's and what I want. There were a couple times where I about came off the table, like right on the quad. Coincidentally, my right quad she would hit spots and I'd like, oh, but my left quad was fine. My right hamstring was fine. My left hamstring was like, oh my gosh. But yeah. I want the kind of massage where they need to stop halfway through and play like one of those three minute YouTube movie motivational montages. <laughs> Just stick with it. So I can, so I can get my mind right and yeah. finish this massage. Yeah. There were definitely times where I was doing like breathing techniques. <laughs> like I'm like, okay, <laughs> this can't last more than three breaths. So yeah. So it was, it was good. We'll see how I feel tomorrow. Like I might be in pain tomorrow. I don't know, but as it stands now, it's pretty good. Man. I love that. Yeah. Side up. Yep. Uh, my recommendation is, should be no surprise given what we've talked about here, a book by Haruki Murakami. I probably rolled the R's the right way. Who knows? <laughs> sounds, like you, sounds like you speak fluent Japanese. He is a famous Japanese novelist um, who's had all his books translated in English. But uh, he wrote, he is a lifelong marathoner he's run one marathon every year for the last 25 it's probably 30 years now the book was written a while ago yeah uh and it is kind of a memoir of his life as a runner and what it is meant to him um and it's called what i talk about when i talk about running and it's like anything like you pour that much time and pain into a process that process becomes a lens through which you can see the entire world more clearly. Mm. And because his life is made up almost entirely of writing, running, and time with his wife, it spoke volumes to me. 
It perfect timing. It is the huh? most. Oh, it's the most I've ever felt like this person who has never met me and is living a life completely different than mine understands everything about the way I'm processing the world. And it was uh, like listening to it while I'm running was yeah. a legitimate spiritual experience for me. That's awesome. And if if anybody else is into either running or writing, uh, I think you'd enjoy it anyways. It's just, you know, a a really smart mind with a lot of good ideas. But if you're into any either of those things, like it will really pop for you. It's on Libby? I don't know if it's on Libby. It's a free, it's included, I should say, if you already have an Audible subscription. Oh, okay, okay. But I can think of some people that have been on the podcast, like um, like uh, Michael Mabunga or Ryan Varga, maybe the Jog Father. The Jog Father would would love it. He's got a lot of time. I mean, I mean, and it's important to remember if uh, oh yeah, it's on Libby audiobook. You can download it. Pick it up in the show notes, right there. Um. But it's important to remember for all those Libby heads out there that all you have to do is talk to your local library about what selection you'd like to see, you know, as a tax-paying member of the county. And, uh, you know, it'll only be a matter of time before you sh- that, that selection shows up on your Libby app. <laughs> only a matter of time. <laughs> yeah, it's the ultimate wait list is lobbying <laughs> your government. We we should take some signs out there and, and picket line our our local library with the books we want. David yeah, Goggins can't hurt me audiobook. Get it on there. Are you guys part of the Black Lives Matter crowd? No, no, no. We're we're here to enhance the selection at our local yeah, library. Yeah. This the, uh this is a little weak. I only have one Adam Grant novel. Come on now. <laughs> well, dude, I enjoy it. Yeah. What I talk man. about when I talk about running. Dude, it's always a pleasure. Always. Always. Um, coming up, we have uh, my buddy and Garrett's buddy, Trent Talent. What a great name. Trent great name. Talent. It sounds like a comic book superhero alter ego. He trains like that, man. I think um, he's done, I don't know if he's done a marathon, but he's definitely done uh, a triathlon um, that he... Documented well and trained a ton for. So I'm looking forward to chatting with him. But next week, I think it might just be me and you again. Okay, so we got him two weeks from now? Two weeks from now. All right, all right. Yeah, I think uh, given my current fixation, there's a, a couple a couple extremely impressive runners I might try to get on here. Yeah, why not? Yeah, pick their brain. Keep selling me Give on me all it because I'm getting closer and closer to saying I should just start training for a marathon. Dude, I'll I'll check out the uh, the team and training website. Here's here's the way to do it. Really, like Disney is not a bad move. Uh, little pricey, well, right? You know, hey, you're made of money. Just made of <laughs> no it. big deal. You all the, you got to do where, is sell like you think this one from? sneaker. Where do you think this shirt's <laughs> from? Lululemon. Woo! Just slumming around in my Lulu. Gosh, that is a, that is nice. 
Yeah, dude, just like, uh, you know, sell a shoelace or something. Yeah, you know, right, right, yeah, okay. But, yeah, the, the other route, which, you know, for, for the charitable uh, runner, is you find any of these nonprofits, and they usually have, like, a solid entry number, like, raise $2,000, and you get, like, a free ticket, one night in a hotel room, right? And... By doing that, you can get entryway into like a world class, mm-hmm. like a Chicago, a New York City. Um, and the advantage of doing those is everything's covered. Like your stations are good. There's plenty of documentation about like the route, how to prepare, like the weather. You know, they've got, if it's cold in the morning when you get there, like they've got donation bins for like the old sweats that you pull off right before you start running. Mm. Like it's just, it's a well covered thing and you don't have to worry. So, you know, as you get, as you start wrapping your mind around it, like let's, let's kick the combo. I would love to be, it, I would I mean, love to be invested in the Tommy Cooksey marathon training process. I mean, you're doing the Walt Disney marathon. Uh, let's see, January 9th. 195 that's how much the marathon is well what gets you is the hotel travel and the hotel the hotel like disney you. knows what they're doing the hotel the hotel is about four or five hundred bucks a night usually or more yeah yep oh, interesting i might just do the dopey challenge what's that is that the one where you run the 5k 10k half and then full yeah the all four days yeah, in a row yeah four consecutive days it's the dopey challenge nope not in that's for that tough, man I, I wouldn't mind going dopey i think i could do it I do have a friend who um, he's really into Spartan runs right now, and uh, he did he did the the five k whatever that's called the sprint. He has he either has or is doing the ten k, which is I forget what that one's called something else the middle. Yeah, it's like yeah. And then he's gonna do the beast, which I think is half marathon the- or a full marathon. Yeah, I think the the beast is like a twenty five k. Yeah, they've got five k, ten k, and then it's like twenty, twenty five, thirty. They get kind of odd. Depends on like your Where location. Yeah. So he's the, doing that because so for multiple reasons. One, he likes doing it. Two, he's Greek. Like he's first generation or second generation, first generation born in the U.S. And if you run all three of those in a calendar year, you can go to Sparta and run the Spartan race in Sparta. Really? And, and the trick and but the thing is is when you go there, Friday you run the sprint, Saturday you run the whatever middle, and Sunday you run <laughs> the beast. The so beast. You have to run them concurrent days, but he's like it would just be so cool to be like in my mother motherland, Sparta yeah. running a so I'm I'm also interested in those. I'm I'm diverging that from That looks you know, awesome. Yeah. Yeah, actually, it's funny you bring those up because one of the things I like to do when I'm doing my cross training, either on the Peloton or the rower, yeah. is I love putting on the elite Spartan races. They're like 30 minutes yeah. to 40 minutes. They're about the right length. And so I'm I'm kind of like a burgeoning, like, what do they call it? OXC, like obstacle racing yeah. fan. Yeah. They're trying to get it. They're trying to get it to a point OCR, where OCR. That's it. Yeah, they're they're trying to get it sanctioned for the Olympics. 
I'm kind of getting into it, and I think uh, I think once I've built up this base through the marathon, I'll probably do a I'll probably do a heavy Spartan. I don't know if I'll jump right into Beast. I'm, I might I might do a little warm up. We've got a lot in North Carolina, so I might go like we do. I'd be hit game. All, hit I'm all game. three. Hit the build. I'm game for that. Is would last question is if if this becomes a um, sanctioned Olympic event. Would we finally see David Goggins get the gold? I feel like it's kind of a race that's like built for him. There's no way. They're not long enough. <laughs> not true. long enough. That's true. That's true. <laughs> like, look, the only thing Goggins is concerned about is hanging on to his certifications as a savage. That's true. That and is true. The other thing about the now that I've been watching the elite stuff is you basically have to be a world-class cross-country runner to begin. The obstacles are not daunting enough. Yeah, it's true. So it's it's not like something like CrossFit where you can be really fast and because you have this one elite skill, it's like it'll it'll never get you there or super strong. Like, But the elite skill of cross-country running mm. or being a great marathoner, if you're elite at that level now – you're also an elite Spartan racer. Yeah, you mix in. I mean, because I've seen like the obstacles aren't as long as you have a little bit of muscle density, you can probably handle them. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Cool. So, you know, Goggins. You know, if they want to make a hundred mile obstacle course, giddy up. Let's go. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. <laughs> exactly. Merry Christmas. All right, brother. Dude, enjoyed it. Always. Talk Let, to you later, later man. dude. Thank you.